0: As Americans struggle under suffocating inflation, economic recession, rampant crime, and chaos at the border, Democrats blindly obsess over climate change, racial equity, voting rights, and abortion. In matters of importance and urgency, the party in control is tone-deaf. It's precisely why they are expected to lose control of the House and Congress— An electoral backlash awaits them. It's a reckoning that Democrats richly deserve. As President Joe Biden has led his party down a self-destructive path of political immolation, where defeat at the ballot box is the inevitable result. Take a look at any of the polling data. They're all the same. In a recent ABC News Washington Post poll poll, Voters align themselves with the Republican agenda by a significant majority. 61% say they care most about the economy, inflation, and crime. Those are the top GOP issues. A scant 35% back the Democrat agenda of abortion and climate change. A Monmouth University poll did a singular issue comparison Get this, 82% of Americans ranked inflation as the most important issue. But they gave Joe Biden an abysmal 30% approval on the handling of inflation. 72% ranked crime as a priority, but delivered the president a 32% score on that. Immigration is important to 67% of voters, But Biden gets a 31% mark. Even on abortion, Joe Biden grades poorly at 31%. Across the board, Biden's report card is an unqualified F. Now, these numbers reflect common sense. Nearly two-thirds of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They have no savings, nothing to fall back on. They're unable to weather severe financial storms like the staggering inflation that was triggered in large part by Biden's profligate spending and his dismantling of U.S. energy independence that once made gasoline costs affordable. Consumer prices for everything are through the roof. Buying groceries just to sustain your family can land you in the figurative poorhouse. Immediacy always dictates voting patterns. This is especially true during a recession, when citizens necessarily vote their empty wallets. That's what they're worrying about when they step into the booth on Election Day. A majority of Americans are fretting about putting food on the table, buying a few gallons of exorbitantly priced gasoline just so they can get to work. After doling out rent, their utility bills often go unpaid. They rack up debt. Try as they may, they cannot make ends meet. The pain they endure will influence their votes come November. How could it not? The party in power gets the blame as it should. After all, they caused it. (music) Attorney, Fox News legal analyst and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is the brief with Greg Jarrett. Billionaire investor Michael Pento has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real, no matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800-809-8500 today. Again, that's 800-809-8500. And tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. Hello everyone and welcome to The Brief, I'm Greg Jarrett. Joe Biden and Democrats not only wrecked a thriving economy, but they've utterly ignored spiraling crime that now terrorizes major cities across the country. They've done nothing about it. To the contrary, their liberal policies have only incentivized criminality while disregarding the innocent victims of crime. They championed, you'll recall, defund police. They demonized cops. Their cashless bail and soft-on-crime programs allowed criminals to beat and shoot, slash, steal, and murder their way through communities where residents now live in fear in what is the equivalent of a war zone. It's no wonder that Americans are angry. At the same time, Democrats want to make it harder for people to defend themselves. But that's not all. The Democrats' open borders policy has allowed entry to more than 3 million illegal immigrants since Joe Biden took office. There's no infrastructure in place to absorb them. There are not enough jobs and budget dollars to support them. Taxpayers are stuck with a staggering net cost of $116 billion a year because of the medical and educational and welfare burden of illegal immigrants. The fiscal load causes taxes to go up among law-abiding citizens who are already overtaxed. Yet Vice President Kamala Harris keeps insisting the border is secure. What border is she talking about? Biden won't even bother to visit. Out of sight is out of mind, I suppose. The upcoming midterm elections is an overdue referendum on the miserable status quo. But it should also serve as a stinging rebuke to Joe Biden's woke policies and failed presidency. It may not be the giant red wave that Republicans envision, but it will be a substantial thumping in the House of Representatives, marking the end of Nancy Pelosi's reckless reign of progressive terror as Speaker of the House. Good riddance. Time to take out the rubbish. Republican victory may finally open the door to some semblance of responsible governance and send feckless Joe to the ash heap of presidential irrelevance. Two months ago, Biden's approval rating reached its lowest level for any president in modern history 38%, according to Gallup. It has ticked somewhat upward since then, but not by much. A more revealing poll by the Associated Press shows that 85% of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track, and that includes 78%. Of Democrats. When members of the party in power admit that things pretty much suck, you can be assured that wholesale change is just around the corner. The number one issue is the economy, and almost 80% describe it as poor. If you dig deeper into the polling data, you'll find that Blacks and Hispanics are abandoning the Democratic Party in droves. Why? because they are the disproportionate victims of rising crime and soaring inflation. They know who's in charge, and they know whom to blame. That's just one of the reasons why Republicans have now opened up a solid five-point lead in the generic congressional ballot among likely voters in the ABC poll. Statewide U.S. Senate races, they're closer, and the outcome there is more uncertain, but the opposite is taking shape in the smaller House districts, where Republicans seem well-positioned to regain control. But it's not just the crushing economy that spells trouble for Democrats come November. It is the profound unpopularity of Joe Biden personally that is an anvil around the neck of his own party. Biden's stewardship is a model of of incompetence. From his bungling of the U.S. surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan, to his dreadful handling of the border crisis, to his indifference to spiraling crime, to his mismanagement of the economy and inflation, Biden has reinforced the widespread belief that he is a lousy president. The image of a mentally alert commander-in-chief is taken a beating by Biden's endless gas, his head-scratching stumbles, that depict an aging president afflicted with cognitive deficits and growing dementia. He looks weak, he acts weak, which is a dangerous combination in any leader. Enemy states know it, and they will seek to exploit it Every day that Joe Biden is in office, he puts the welfare of America at risk. Columnist Miranda Devine of the New York Post put it this way, and I'll quote, Whether he is falling up the stairs of Air Force One or falling off a stationary bike, whether he's wandering around a stage in a fog or clutching cheat sheets designed for a four-year-old, Whether he's shouting incoherently or whispering creepily, the optics are shocking." Last week's blunder was among the most embarrassing yet. At a conference, he searched in vain for Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who was tragically killed in a recent auto accident. Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? The room was aghast as Biden looked around, finally saying, I think she wasn't going to be here. No kidding. She's dead. Biden knew she was deceased. He sent her family a long condolence letter. He was actually scheduled to meet with her loved ones. The conference where he spoke was partially in honor of Jackie's memory. How does a person forget something like that? Well. You don't, unless you're suffering from some form of debilitating senility. Even the Biden-friendly White House press corps was horrified. They refused to cover up the president's mortifying lapse. The more press secretary Karine Jean-Pierre tried to dismiss it with an utterly lame excuse, the worse it got. Reporters weren't buying it, and her vapid explanations were, were met with universal derision. There's no mistaking the likely cause of Joe Biden's alarming confusion because, sadly, it has become chronic. It's something every American should be deeply concerned about, and it is one of the principal reasons why the electorate has lost faith in the president. Like a puppet controlled by others, he does not seem to be in charge of anything at all. Without a teleprompter, he struggles to put a subject with a predicate. He garbles his thoughts. He mumbles phrases that are unintelligible. He's out to lunch, permanently. Biden's diminished mental state suggests that he is susceptible to manipulation. That may explain how the progressive wing of his party was able to commandeer his presidency to shove him far to the left, of the moderate positions he promised during the campaign. It may also account for his unhinged attacks on Republican voters calling them semi-fascists, whatever that means, white supremacists, a threat to democracy, a clear and present danger to the republic. After vowing to unite the country, Biden is sowing only division and hatred. Does he even understand what he's saying? Who exactly is writing the garbage he's reading in the prompter? It's easy to dismiss Joe Biden as a mentally challenged geriatric who blathers incoherently and is prone to wildly dishonest rhetoric. But he's not just some crazy uncle in the attic. He's president of the United States, leader of the free world. He has immense power. And that power can be used for good or misused for bad. Progressives have seized control of the Oval Office. And by the way, who are they? Well, they're radical socialists in disguise. They hurl accusations of bigotry and racism without evidence or thought. Their weapons of choice are public intimidation and shaming. They operate what one Wall Street Journal columnist called a faux-moral movement that is social justice-obsessed. They wage cancel-culture wars and a relentless campaign of virtue-signaling, intolerance, gender ideology, and extreme political correctness. The woke crowd is convinced that buying a Tesla will cure all ills. But they are out of touch, they're tone-deaf to what afflicts most Americans, the inability to afford groceries, gasoline, or pay their rent and heating bills that have skyrocketed amid Joe Biden's corrosive energy policies and his insane economic agenda. Those same Americans are sick of the racially divisive rhetoric being served up. Vice President Harris declared, Government hurricane relief must be based on the color of your skin. That, of course, is illegal. Not that Harris would ever know that. She flunked the bar exam, which is only slightly better than getting kicked out of law school for cheating, as her boss Joe Biden did. Not to be outdone when it comes to racial pandering, Biden plans to end hunger through the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sorry, Joe, but your magic formula won't put food in the stomachs of hungry people. Try lowering the cost of everything by embracing sound economics. Reduce taxes instead of raising them. Allow Americans to reap the benefits of their own success and stop penalizing them. And while you're at it, stop jamming socialist nonsense down their throats end dependency by eliminating the cradle-to-grave welfare state. It is destructive, not constructive. Ronald Reagan put it best when he famously said, government is not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. He was right. It's too big, too bloated and powerful. Unelected bureaucrats regulate Every aspect of our lives. An elite few tell us what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. It's high time that government get out of the way. Stop imposing dictates and onerous demands. Return the power to the people. Let them direct their own course with freedom of choice. Biden and Democrats have made a mess of everything. It has to change, or we're doomed. And in a representative democracy, change can only come at the ballot box. We'll see in just a few weeks whether Americans are angry enough and desperate enough to exercise their constitutional right to change course. It is now a matter of survival. Joining me now to talk about it is Matt Towery a political analyst and pollster, attorney, and former Georgia state legislator. His polls are among the most accurate. He correctly called, for example, the 2016 presidential race for Donald Trump when others incorrectly predicted that Hillary Clinton would win. Matt, thank you so much for joining The Brief. Let's jump right in. Joe Biden's approval rating, it is stunningly low. To what extent will the November elections be a referendum on his presidential stewardship, especially since his party, Democrats, control both houses of Congress?
1: Well, I I would say that no one would understand this better than you, Greg. Um, The the Democrats in the last month and a half have wanted this to be about Donald Trump. And to the extent they were able to use the raid on Mar-a-Lago and all the other issues that surround Trump, New York, Georgia, and the like, uh, they were able for a period of time to take the public's attention off of Joe Biden, which was, of course, the plan. And during that time period, Biden's approval ratings started creeping up, disapprovals went down. Now we're to the point that we're, I had a Speaker of the House who used an old country term saying we're at the lick log, which means the bottom of the of the, um, of the feeding trough or the, the salt lick for, um, for cattle. And it means that now you have to decide we're in October, one month to go. A lot of people already have ballots in their hands because they're early voting, absentee voting. Um, we are starting to see the president's approval ratings drop again. We're starting to see the generic ballot, which is when we ask people, uh, who would they prefer to control Congress, Republicans or Democrats? They're saying Republicans again. Now, during that same time period that I just talked about, the Democrats were allegedly in some polls, and even in my poll by one point or two, ahead in that question. Now it's moving very quickly back to the Republicans. So I think people are focused now on the issues that relate to Joe Biden and to his administration, obviously inflation, obviously the economy, obviously um, issues related to the immigration, which I think is a bigger issue than people realize uh, among voters, and then other issues, the cultural issues. And I don't think Vice President Harris helped the president or the Democratic Party very much yesterday by, or several days ago now, saying that, that hurricane relief in Florida should be based on, on uh, color and uh, equity, which just came as a stunningly shocking mistake. When Florida's up for grabs, allegedly, I don't think it's as up, to, up for grabs as people think, but the nation is looking at these sort of things because the cultural side of this thing is sort of the undercurrent that no one really talks about. But all of that's coming together.
0: You know, when it comes to gaffes, um, Kamala Harris is Joe Biden's equal. Uh, and, and so that was uh, an unforced error, to be sure, politically. Uh, but I, you touched on some of the main issues for Americans, and and I want to talk about that. Polling data shows that they care most about inflation, the miserable economy, recession, unaffordable gasoline prices, grocery prices they can't afford. Have Republicans succeeded in convincing voters that Biden and Democrats are to blame for that. They're out of control spending that drove up inflation. Their war against energy that caused gasoline prices to soar beyond affordability. H- have Republicans been able to successfully pin that on Democrats to the extent it will influence voters in November?
1: Well, I think they're starting to. Um, I I've been sort of a critic of the giant largesse of Republican consultants out there who, who seem to every year run the same ads, cookie cutter ads, um, and, and uh, buy up time in conventional ways. And then and we end up not having the message and not having the money. What happened in this, in this election cycle is that about a month and a half ago, when everyone realized that this, this might be a disaster for the Republicans again, um, they manage to get their act together. Their ads are much stronger. I think because their donors are demanding it. The ads are much stronger. They're much sharper. They get down to the actual level of, of what is affecting people because you can't just say we have rising inflation. The average person doesn't know or they're just now learning what inflation really is. And so you have to say, you have to talk about the cost of bread, the cost of eggs, the cost of this. When you do that, you start to really hit home. And I think around the country, the ads are beginning and, and, and the messaging are beginning to really hone in on that. Um, and also the president's approval rating was coming up. So people didn't want to bash him as much. It's now very clear that you've got to, as a Republican candidate, connect the candidate to Joe Biden. And I think they are beginning to do it. And I think we're seeing it in the polling all over the country where we're seeing these races uh, all tighten. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Congresswoman uh, Mace here in South Carolina has a very effective ad that underscores exactly what you're saying. Uh, She's standing in the kitchen and she says, you know, a pound of bacon costs eight bucks. A gallon of milk costs four bucks. A dozen eggs costs four bucks. Um, Democrats are to blame for that. And that, I think, is a pretty effective ad. I've talked to some folks around here and they say, yeah. That really mm-hmm. resonates uh, with me. But uh, let me move on to a different issue, spiraling crime. Uh, that has become a pivotal issue in several states and many congressional districts. How do you see that factor?
1: Well, we're seeing crime move to become maybe the number one issue in a lot of these, uh, these states where, where we have tight battleground Senate uh, contests like Georgia- Pennsylvania and the like. The reason is that for a certain period of time, as you know, when we had the the riots in 2020, it it became almost impossible for people to talk about crime because it looked like you would be labeled a racist or anti-whatever if you even mentioned it. So now we're in a phase in which people are beginning to speak up and realize that the reaction to that 2020 um, summer was an overreaction of, of not just of gargantuan uh, portions, but also obviously very very well planned out by Democrats and certainly by those who, who favor uh, a, a change in the, quote, criminal justice system equity. So they're now reaping what they sow. I, a, a very interesting story yesterday in Philadelphia. <clears throat> a group of uh, cars just took control of a, of a, a road in Philadelphia highway this goes on, by the way, in cities all over America. It takes place in Atlanta constantly, for example. They just take over the highway and they do donuts in the middle of the, of the highway. They shoot off fireworks. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you're busy trying to get to a hospital or to your parents' house or to go somewhere and an entire highway or road that everyone uses is shut down and you have mayhem going on around you and then someone they, – they, they go somewhere else down the road and do it again – that's symbolic of chaos and i think that the chaos that we've been through since 2020 is now coming home to roost as people look at their local crime statistics the larger cities in their states and how people are being let out of jail no no bail requirement anymore the it's it's no cash bail requirement we're now reaching the point at which crime is becoming in our polling the number one issue
0: yeah because victims of crime end up voting the innocent law-abiding citizens who are victimized uh, by crime and these progressive district attorneys who are soft on crime and, you know, they want to plead down serious felonies to misdemeanors. And so people are fed up the revolving door of, you know, before the police paperwork is even done. Uh, the suspect has been released uh, from jail to commit crimes, the same crimes all over again. And I think well e- you know, even, are- even,
1: yeah, even local media, for example, in, in, in Atlanta, and I live in Florida now, but I keep up with Atlanta pretty closely. In Atlanta, the newspaper, which generally, as you know, uh, is strongly promotes Democrat uh, candidates and their stories, has to report the fact that there's a backlog, <coughs> excuse me, that there's a backlog, in prosecution of major cases. I mean, talking felonies, big time backlog uh, in Fulton County. But yet Fulton County is obsessed right now with going after Donald Trump. And even to people who may not like Trump or, or may think that there's something to that case, they're scratching their heads and say, wait a minute, we can't prosecute people who've committed major crimes because of this. So I think reality is, what I'm really saying is reality is coming home to hit people right in the 11th hour which is usually when voters make their decision right around that's this right. time
0: yeah that's right especially after labor day i mean people don't you know during the summer uh you know people don't really pay attention and then all of a sudden right. after labor day they start looking at uh, you know the television and listening to radio and so on, and they start saying wait a minute this is just uh, this is not what i want we've got to make a change are democrats matt vulnerable over the border crisis four million illegals have poured into the u.s since biden took office not to mention all of the deadly fentanyl that's become a crisis of overdose deaths all on its own i mean kids are dying in droves as the illegal drugs are easily smuggled across our border by the drug cartel biden and democrats are doing little to secure the border. Indeed, they seem to be inviting people to come in. I mean, Biden won't even go down and and look at it. And Kamala Harris keeps saying, oh, the border is secure, which is <laughs> is a total lie. I mean, right. is that, the border crisis, an election factor?
1: Well, it was an election factor when Donald Trump ran in 2016, and it's still a factor now. Um, the, the one thing I tell... Uh, and I talk to Democrats and Republican folks all the time I'm, I'm, I, because I poll for the Fox affiliates. I, I call it right down you know, the line. And sometimes if there's a, a Democrat winning, the Democrat wins. Sometimes it's a Republican, it's Republican, but I, I never play games. So I will tell you that while I think the immigration uh, crisis is a big issue, one of the problems that, that, that Republicans face is that if you look at ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, you name it. While on Fox or Newsmax or other conservative leaning programs or middle to conservative, you'll see the streams of people coming across the border. You'll never see it on, on some of these other networks. And, so, and because so many people get their media feed now by, by social media, by these entities, they never see anything about it. So there's a large portion of the American public that has no idea that people are constantly streaming across that Texas border. Um, I think they are becoming more aware of it because as you get down to this time period, as you just alluded to, people begin to focus. And I think some of these campaigns have finally realized that you've got to show people what's going on down there because they're not necessarily seeing it. So it's sort of a confluence of a lot of things coming together at once. Um, And I think immigration is is playing a bigger role now than it was a month ago, uh, as is crime, these things that, that hit home. And I will say this one last thing. I think that Greg Abbott and uh, Ron DeSantis probably made this a national issue by uh, taking buses and shipping some of these folks who crossed their border illegally into areas, of course, where the uh, media live and work. And they made the mistake, I think, the Democrats, of actually reacting to this. They would have done better if they had welcomed the buses and done something with people who came and seemed gleeful about it, but by, by being upset and saying that, you know, this isn't fair, when everyone says, well, wait a minute, they got millions in Texas crossing Texas. You've got, you know, a couple of thousand. What are you crying about? They made it an issue. Isn't that ironic?
0: Yeah, it is. And the hypocrisy is so glaring and obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, Democrats are all in favor of illegal immigration until suddenly they're bust or flown uh, to the, the their democratic cities and suddenly they're mortified and horrified and wait right. and then Nancy Pelosi ever clueless uh, hauls off and says oh they should stay in Florida because you know they have to pick the crops my lord what a an inane racist you know statement <laughs> by Nancy Pelosi another unforced error by a leader in the democratic party. But uh, Joe Biden is the head of the democratic party for better or for worse. But the Mm -hmm. image Matt of a strong and mentally alert or coherent leader takes a hit. Every time he stumbles, fumbles and mumbles another mindless gaffe. How much of a drag is Joe Biden on Democrats as voters you know, head to the polls, they step into the booth, and they consider the competency of the Democrat Party's leader.
1: Well, he, he's a drag, but, but let me make a, a point from your earlier, earlier mention of Nancy Pelosi. She just appeared on Stephen Colbert's show, to which she received massive applause and no tough questioning. And so the issues that, that you just talked about, they, they, they are somehow blown off by the media and by the entertainers. And oftentimes people, you know, most people don't follow politics. They don't like it. They'll, they'll put up with it around election time. They'll think about it. But a lot of times they simply don't get this information, as I alluded to earlier with the immigration situation. So I think the president's cognitive issues are known, but we have to remember again that a lot of people are getting their social media uh, news and other news very much filtered, uh, basically censored. And so they're not as aware of these gaffes, these endless gaffes and problems as people who are concentrated and and who may watch uh, media that are a little more open-minded and and show these things. So I think it matters, but I don't think that that's the the primary issue that people are taking into account. That's been hidden pretty well. Uh, So I think among conservatives, they know, but among moderate voters or independents, I think they're voting on the things you talked about earlier. Their pocketbook, their safety, and then the overall safety and integrity of the country.
0: What about Joe Biden's recently divisive rhetoric, which really has turned uh, especially caustic, calling Republicans semi-fascist, threat to democracy, clear and president, present danger to the Republic? Uh, is that the kind of political ugliness that could actually backfire in some respect in the upcoming election?
1: Oh, I think it has backfired. You know, I'm not a big fan of focus groups. And I know everyone in in D.C. and New York and L.A. love focus groups. I found them to be pretty worthless in the sense that when you get a group of 12 or 15 or 16 people, statistically, that's not the margin of error is out the door. So what you're really doing is you're just throwing darts at the wall with no dartboard and you're saying, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And then you think you've reached consensus. So, you know, this thing was focus grouped, I'm sure. And they came to the conclusion, this is great. It moves voters. We'll call the MAGA Republicans. We'll come down tough on them. We'll link them all to Trump. But the setting of the speech he gave was eerily, uh, uh, it's, it was just scary. And I, I mean, the, the, the comparisons yeah. were made to it. I don't even have to talk about it. It, it was just shocking. The tone of it was shocking. And I'll tell you the other interesting thing is, I, I, Robert Cahaley, who I think is, is one of the great pollsters in the country, he and I are very good friends and we collaborate a lot. And Robert and I have both talked about this over and over. We think that that speech probably took another two to three points off of the reality of these polls, because you hmm. start polling people and say, are you going to vote for, uh, let's say I'm doing a poll in Georgia right now, Herschel Walker or Senator Warnock or- Oz or Fetterman, you know, a lot of these pollsters, they pollute their poll with a lot of things before they get to the horse race. They'll say, what's your opinion of Joe Biden? What's your opinion of Donald Trump? They throw his name in. By the time these people get to the horse races, they don't want to say anything. And in fact, many people just won't take the polls. So I'm beginning to believe that when you look at these polls that show like Oz down by three, which is what our poll for the Fox affiliate showed last week in Philadelphia, it could easily be odds up by one, because if you take a point away and give it to someone else, that's a two point spread. So I, I, I think a lot of these races, just like 2016, and we saw this again in 2020, you know, we were polling for all of these these affiliates. My numbers had Trump much closer. Robert's numbers had Trump much closer. All the big national names that, um, that everyone thinks are so fantastic had Biden winning, you know, by a landslide. And look what it turned out to be. And it's not because we're brilliant. It's just because we, we ask very simple questions and we try to get the honest truth out of these folks. But getting that truth is getting harder and harder when it comes to Republican leaning voters.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, Independence Hall speech by President Biden was a mistake with a capital M. I mean, it looked like Dante's Inferno or a Hieronymus Bosch painting of the gates of hell. And it was just awful, and it was matched equally uh, by the ugliness of of President Biden's accusation against Republicans. And I agree, I watched and I thought this is gonna backfire, and I think it will. Finally, let me let me get down to the brass tacks here. How do you uh-huh. handicap the House races as a whole? Does it appear to you? Uh, again, you're you're the best pollster out there. Uh, that Republicans will regain control of the House.
1: Well, I always felt like Republicans would regain control, regardless of how poorly the campaigns were run or whatever, because you know that's a matter of redistricting. I mean, they, we, you know, the public, the population shifts. The Republicans control more legislatures. They carve up the districts and. There was a net gain for Republicans, pretty much baked in at the very beginning. Now, because of the of the move I'm seeing in terms of who people want to have control Congress, and I think about what I just said earlier, Greg. If people don't want to tell us the truth, that R plus three could be R plus ten, and so although you know you never know until you count the votes, and you you know that's another issue. But I would think that the House is going to be very comfortably. Uh, uh, in the Republican, uh, margin. I, I might add Newt Gingrich, I was his campaign chairman when he was speaker and I've known him since I was 20 years old. So we, we have a long, long, long relationship. He tells right. me he expects a really substantial Republican win. I don't bet against Newt when it comes to matters of the house.
0: Yeah. I, he, he's always on target and, and Karl Rove crunched the numbers in a column in the wall street journal. And, uh, mm-hmm. He said pretty much the same thing. What, what do you expect, a pickup of 15, 20 seats in the House? What do you think
1: for, for Republicans? I wouldn't be shocked if it was over that. Really? Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Republicans win marginally uh, winnable seats. and Because when these things happen, it happened in 1980 with Reagan. Uh, it happened in, in in other years, but that when I was first active working with Newt. Um, when these things happen, it's just a floodgate that suddenly opens. And then, well, in 1994, when we took control of the house and Newt was speaker, became speaker, um, it just happens. And I'm, I'm not to the point, I will tell you right now that we're going to have that floodgate, but I'm beginning to see some signs of it. So I think the house is going to be very, very significant.
0: Well, Nancy Pelosi knows it. I hear she's angling to be ambassador to Italy. So she knows her days are numbered. Uh, (laughs) Final final question. Let me get to the Senate because unlike, you know, House district uh, races, the Senate races are statewide, of course. Um, Is it going to be closer in the Senate? I expect so. And how do you handicap that?
1: Well, you do it state by state. And, um, you know, the way I look at it right now, uh, I feel like Pennsylvania is really up for grabs. I think Fetterman's losing steam very quickly. Um, Oz had to do two things. He had to convince people up there that he, that he can be someone from their state because they painted him as an outsider. And he had to get his Republican vote back after a very divisive uh, runoff. But I think he's doing that. Georgia, of course, they're throwing everything to the kitchen sink. at Herschel Walker, latest stuff having to do with you know abortions and other matters and his son. I don't think that's going to change a lot of votes in Georgia. I think Georgia's headed to a runoff and uh, because Georgia's really? one of the two states. Yes, Georgia has a general election law that says you have to win by 50% plus one vote. I don't see either two of these candidates getting to 50% right now. That probably would be to Walker's advantage. It would give him more time to answer all these issues, and moreover – they, they've changed the law in Georgia. It's now a runoff that starts immediately after the, uh, the election is over, but it ends uh, early in December rather than stretching out into January. That really changes the, the get-out-the-vote effort by the Democrats, and they're not able to use some of the, of the things that they've used before to get their, their, their vote up. So I expect that Herschel Walker can win on a runoff. Uh, some of these other states, states, Arizona is interesting. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on that because I think it's more competitive than some pollsters think. I think Robert K. thinks the same thing. Um, I think we're going to pick up Nevada. Laxalt will probably win that. Every poll we've done, we've, I mean, the number's a bit overwhelming. We've had to all look at our our waiting to see what in the world are we missing. And I think some of these other races are, uh, you know, I think Wisconsin's going to go to Johnson. And I think uh, Bud's going to win in North Carolina. So if you can pick up Pennsylvania and pick up Georgia, uh, or if you can pick up Pennsylvania and pick up Nevada, you, you, you really, you just need one more seat added to, added to the mix. And I think there's a good chance of Republicans, I, let's put it this way, Nate Silver, I think, says there's a 38% chance of Republicans winning. I, I'm not going to try to be Nate Silver because I'm not as brilliant as he is, but I would say that I would put that more as, a, as about a 55% chance the Republicans pick up the Senate. Hmm, very interesting.
0: Matt Towery, political analyst, pollster, attorney, former Georgia state legislator, Thank you so much for taking the time to join The Brief.
1: Thank you, Greg. Enjoyed it.
0: And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.